Asset Radio. You're listening to The Edge. Everything bass fishing coming to you worldwide from MegaWare Keel Guard Studios. Here we go, Bass Edge Nation. We got a big weekend coming up. It is Independence Weekend, Aaron. I'm excited. We got a great show coming, and uh, we are full-fledged summer. We're past the solstice. I mean, things are hopping right now in the world. They are, and, and quite honestly, Kurt, I'm kind of shocked that you didn't have, you know, the noise of fireworks and that going off and wherever you are in the world right now. <laughs> right. You know, it probably would not uh, bode well in your hotel room slash camper or uh, whatever abode you find yourself in, but we do have a great episode, great weekend, and of course, all things Bass Edge from day one, presented by MegaWare Keelguard. Be sure, if you have not done so, Log on to KeelGuard.com. You've got the Scuff Buster Skate Guard Flex Step and, of course, the first do-it-yourself keel protector. Put on the protection, the pros pick, and that is KeelGuard.com. Kurt, we've had, uh, speaking of kind of fireworks, hey, yes. classic, right? Bassmaster's classic, Hank Cherry. You've got, uh, you know, probably the goat Van Dam coming back. He posted the big V, right? Yeah, yeah, man. A lot, lot of things going on. Congrats, as you mentioned, Aaron, to Hank Cherry, back-to-back classic champs. I I believe this is the now fourth time that this has occurred in BASS history. you got the Clun days way back. You've got Kevin Van Dam. I believe he was back-to-back. Jordan Lee went back-to-back. Now Hank Cherry has gone back-to-back as classic champion. Very interesting tournament. A lot going on there. We're actually going to tackle a little bit of that later on in the show, talking about some high-water situations. We've seen a lot of that. I know, Aaron, you've seen a lot of that. What we did not see at Chickamauga was high water. What we did see was the KVD smackdown. (laughs) That's for sure. It was uh, right back into the old school KVD offshore ledge fishing, doing what he does best. Stayed in a great position throughout the entire Bass Pro Tour event there on Chickamauga. Then in the final period, just laid the wood to him. I mean, it was a KVD show of years past, essentially, is what we saw. Yeah, for all those who thought that, uh, you know, he might be losing his edge, perhaps, uh, yeah, not so much. Yeah, not not so much. Uh, he hasn't had the greatest of finishes, you know, over the last several years that we're accustomed to. Let me just say, I would take those finishes all day long. Yeah, I was going to say, that, that's <laughs> but, relative, right? <laughs> yeah, 100% relative talking about the goat here and he's back on top for right now so it'll be good to see uh how things boil down for him if can he ride the momentum at st lawrence he's had an elite series win at the st lawrence going back to the st lawrence as a bbt uh going at a different time of year obviously i think still a lot of fish going to be on bed there so that's going to be an interesting scenario for this uh catch way release format and how that dials in for those guys up there on the st lawrence river but uh without further Further ado, Aaron, we're going to dial in this little segment we always do in every episode. Probably one of my favorite segments, a quick tip brought to us by protecttheharvest.com. Y'all listen in. Here's another bass fishing tip that you need to know. This episode's protecttheharvest.com tackle tip with BASS Elite Series Pro, KJ Queen. Hey guys, it's getting July, it's getting a little hot. uh, You know, it's getting that northern swing time, go up north, catch some big smallmouth. One of the tackle tips that I want to give y'all that I like to do is uh, I'd like to get a 7-1 medium-heavy Janko high roller rod and get a high speed 8-2 gear ratio reel and put like probably either 10 or 12 pound fluorocarbon and get a clean tackle peanut jig. And uh, that's one of the cool products that uh, me and my dad actually just come out with clean tackle is is a finesse peanut jig. And what's cool about this peanut jig, it has a 3-alt and a 4-alt hook in it, which is a very small, thin-wire finesse hook. These jigs, they have a nice little round head to them, and they're hand-tied, wire-tied, have coffee scent as well. So when them smallmouth go up to it, they smell it, they're going to go ahead and they're going to eat it. And uh, what's sweet is you can take these jigs, take half the skirt and lay it out, and trim half the skirt in half, the first half the skirt over the head in half, and then take the other half the skirt and trim it right behind the hook. And then when you fold it back up, it leaves it for a perfect little round ball jig, and it makes it match just perfect like a goby. And we also actually make these two colors called uh, Summer Goby and Goby, and it matches literally a goby. You can't, you can't beat it. It matches it perfectly. 
And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm really excited about this Northern Swing going up there. And, I'm, you know, Champlain and St. Lawrence, best believe I'm going to have me a 7-1 medium heavy rod with a 10-pound test and a summer goby and a regular goby peanut jig tied on for sure. And, uh, you know, whenever I'm fishing, if I'm fishing out in, say, 20 foot of water or, uh, you know, even out to 25, I'm probably going to use that 3-8 ounce peanut jig if I'm fishing anywhere between 20 foot or less. I like using that quarter ounce peanut jig. But the reason why I like that quarter ounce is because most people, if you think about what most people throw, even around around where I live in North Carolina, everybody and their brother throws a three-eighths ounce or a half ounce jig. That's just standard. That's what everybody likes to throw. So I like throwing that quarter ounce jig. I'll take it, trim it up, make it really small, make a small profile, and you know, I can throw that jig around in places that everybody else is throwing their jig, and I can get a few extra bites. And that's the key in making it on the Elite Series for me, and hopefully that'll help y'all out too as well. KJ, awesome tip, man. Appreciate you sharing that with us. Brought to you by ProtectTheHarvest.com. First by land and now by sea. For years, Lucas Oil has been a staple in high-performance vehicles on both the road and track. Now, from the makers of Lucas Oil comes Lucas Marine products, specifically engineered for marine applications. Protect and lubricate your marine inboard, outboard, or high-performance boat with Lucas Marine Engine Oil or Lucas Synthetic-Based Oil. Learn more about the complete line of Lucas Oil and marine products. Visit lucasoil.com. Nitro Performance Bass Boats. Get pro-level performance with the Nitro Z18, the official boat of Major League Fishing. The Z18, with its nimble handling and versatility, sports many of the features in the larger boats in the line, like a Guardian Live Well, a heavily insulated cooler, dual 8-foot rod storage, and our smooth and fast NVT hull. Every Nitro boat is laid out to do one thing very well, catch fish. Enormous front decks up to 45 square feet on the Z21 allow maximum mobility when battling unruly bass and feature low-profile gunnels for ease of skipping, pitching, flipping, or landing fish. Nitro Performance Bass Boats, pure fishing machines. Aaron coming off the home pond in my last event just a short week or so ago and uh, not the result I wanted, but nonetheless a great result for fans of bass fishing. Yeah, well, uh, speaking of home pond, I don't think this angler has a home pond because he had to cross <laughs> right. a very large pond to even get over here to be able to do this five to 6,000 miles. And, of course, I'm referring to the first European winner, I guess, on the elite national level. Tours. Yeah, national yeah. tours. Yeah. Man, unbelievable. Jacopo Galelli, just a monster day. Biggest bag by about three pounds. And the last day of the event on the Potomac River took the title, you know, an Italian angler. I got to tell you a quick story about this, Aaron. I actually met Jacopo Galelli many, many years ago. I believe it was 2012 or 13, so almost eight years ago. He was came here from Italy. I was fishing the BASS Open down at Harris Chain with a friend of mine, Paul Pagnato. We were staying in a, uh, you know, typical fisherman's lodge. Uh, getting ready for the tournament, and there was this guy, this Italian guy, Jacopo, and uh, man, listened to his story and and what he was trying to do and fish, and 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 we've seen other European anglers have success, uh, not not necessarily European, but other anglers. Uh, have success from other countries here in the U.S., you know, coming to bass fish and fish the the big shows, you know, whether it was the, at that time, the FLW Tour or the Bassmaster Elite Series. And uh, Jacopo was one of those guys that, that came, in his case, from Italy and, uh, you know, through the, the, the nation, the Federation Nation at the time and, and had this opportunity to fish in the United States, wanting to live the bass fishing dream. And Aaron, he reached a pinnacle goal of his for sure on the Potomac Well, and, and Kurt, the, you know, let's spend just a brief moment on that. All of us that fish have to come up with some kind of sacrifice, but yes. I, I think he takes that to a whole new level with, you know, what he had to go through with all of us obviously faced COVID, but he could not get back into his own 
country, or if he did, he couldn't leave again, right? So, you know, you're missing Christmases, birthdays, Father's Day, right, with with his son and how he dedicated that win to his son. That's a whole emotional, you know, we talk a lot about the psychological aspect and the emotional component that goes into fishing. I mean, that that's a whole different level. Yeah, I was all in, totally different level as you talk about. I find this kind of humorous, but but it, it really shows. I remember seeing this on the live show. Jacopo mentioned he had been 10 months, a year, without having a, a relationship with a woman. You know, <laughs> that was right. like his, his other, you know, way to describe to the audience of his commitment to what he was doing. Like everything he had was going directly into bass fishing and, and has been for a good period of time. But specifically through this this trial and tribulation of COVID and, and all these other kinds of things, I mean, he, he had to be ultra focused. It's all he had, all he had to do. And uh, and to win a, a national event in that on that stage. And the raw emotion, if there was anything that I loved more about the whole thing, you know, outside of, you know, just this Italian guy, you know, and I say just this Italian guy, you know, this, this guy that I know, and I've talked to many, many times, Jacopo having this, this moment, but seeing the raw human emotion that he went through when he would catch a fish or feel a, a, uh, an emotion or a feeling about, about what was happening to him in that on television or on, on live broadcasting in time, well, and he even that, said, Kurt, it wasn't that's about what money. Bass oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think all of us, that's what we're drawn to is the fact of it's perhaps less about the dollars at the end of the day, right? It's still about the Benjamins because you have to be able to stay out here and do this at, at you guys' level. But uh, we all know that the intrinsic motivator is, is just kind of that internal about testing your, your inner boundaries, your inner limits of, of how good can we really be in a particular moment. And I think he, he certainly got to realize that. Yeah, man. It was super, super cool. So without further ado, <laughs> congratulations again to Jock Poe, a great deal. You know, we, we were going to talk about a little high water, Aaron, but I think we're going to hold off on that. Maybe we can tackle a couple of different scenarios next episode. Maybe we would talk about some high water situations that we've seen over the last month or so. And, and then and then also want to talk a little bit about how ecosystems change but we're going to hold those thoughts. I think we're going to do those in a couple weeks in our next episode because we have on the line part of this classic event that we just saw, the runner-up. We're going to talk with Matt Airy in the Lucas Oil Angler Spotlight. Y'all stay tuned. This is going to be a great interview. I am BASS Elite Series Pro Chad Pipkins. This is Bassmaster Classic Champion Casey Ashley. I am Marcus Sakura, FLW All American Champion. This is FLW Tour Champion JT Kenny. And be sure to stay tuned right here to Bass Edge Radio. You know the importance of protecting your investments. So why use anything else other than the original and toughest DIY keel protector for your boat, MegaWare Keel Guard? Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare KeelGuard Keel Protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also for MegaWare Keel Guard, Skeg Guard, Flex Step Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare Keel Guard. Here we go, Bass Edge Nation. We have BASS Elite Angler with us today that just came off a great run at the 2021 Bassmaster Classic. When the weight settled and the scales ended, he was the runner-up. It is great to have on today's show BASS Elite Series Angler, Matt Airy. Appreciate you joining us on this episode of Bass Edge Radio, Matt. 
Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. It's my pleasure. Well, Matt, uh, like Kurt said, well done at the Classic. So close, uh, yet I'm sure it has provided some great momentum going into the last couple of events of 2021 on the Elite Series. But before we kind of get into that, you know, normally you're kind of on the other side of the mic, right? You're you're in Kurt and I's position because you and Brian Thrift have a podcast. Uh, is it a little different uh, being interrogated by us this time versus you kind of uh, hosting <laughs> yeah. the show? Well, it's a lot of fun, honestly. You know, I'm, I'm a fan of our industry. I'm a fan of all the podcasts out there and I listen to you guys you know we're uh, full-time truck drivers and part-time fishermen right so we spend a lot of time <laughs> on the road listening to uh to podcasts and things like that but Brian and I we have a lot of fun it's called Let's Talk Fish we do it live in studio here in Shelby and we uh you know we we do a lot of engagement we do tournament wrap-ups we haven't had as many episodes as I've liked this year because he's over the BPT I'm over at the elites and with with uh you know so many uh, conflicts in our schedule it's hard to get together you know so uh we uh we do we're fortunate to have a lot of good fishermen in our area we had Hank Cherry on this past Wednesday and that was a lot of fun to get him in studio and, and some people were like I can't believe you you had the guy that put you in second place in the classic and you sit right there in the studio three days later. And I said, well, no, we go way back. We're buddies. But, no, we have a good time with it. It's a lot of fun. Matt, it is uh, it is a lot of fun. I really enjoy the podcasting, obviously. Uh, Aaron mentioned, uh, you know, getting some great momentum going into these last couple of events uh, off of that classic. What's your thought process? You have two or three events left there on the Elite Series. Is that correct? I know you got Champlain coming up in a couple weeks, and then um, you've got uh thousand islands and is that event yep. still in place right now yeah that's it and uh you know lord willing everything actually we were under some still some pretty strict covid protocols to go to new york and those have been lifted we just got a an update from bass that those have been lifted so there's not going to be any testing required like there was last year when we went up there and obviously a lot of the guys are happy about that but we have two events left. Um, yeah. Back-to-back events, both in New York, both at uh, Champlain and, yes, St. Lawrence River, Thousand Islands. As of right now, today, Canadian waters on St. Lawrence won't be open to us, uh, but they opened the lake up. Um, now, that being said, we're going out of Waddington, so it's a long That's run a to that run. lake. Yeah. Um, yes, it and is. there's a lot of variables. To answer your question on the momentum side, I'm sitting 40th in the points going into I the I saw that on the bubble right now, right? Yeah, and, uh, you know, after, you, after you've been, the, you know, I've been over the leads two years, been fortunate to make the Classic both years, and, you know, when, you, when you're at the Classic, especially when you get that close, there's nothing you want more than just to just to have another shot. So yeah. uh, momentum in our sport, as y'all know, is, is crucial. And that is something that we're carrying into New York. And, you know, we're going to keep a positive attitude. I love fishing up there. I love chasing those big brown fish. And, you know, hopefully we can we can finish off the season strong and get back to Lake Hartwell next year for the 22 Classic. That'll be great right there, close to your backyard. I know it's not right in the backyard, but it's pretty close. Let's break down some of the early summer conditions we saw over there at the Classic on Ray Roberts. Uh, your approach to making them work for you, your primary baits a frog and a jig you know you had a lot of variables going into this classic you know i don't know if you pre-practice but then obviously conditions during the tournament very different how did the conditions change uh in the approach to your classic and did your predicted patterns hold true throughout practice and competition this year yeah you know one thing and, and you mentioned about pre-practice i did not spend any pre-pre-practice till we have that mm-hmm. three day what i consider pre-practice period but we uh I didn't spend any pre-practice down there. And that's something that I kind of quit doing about 10 years ago. And, you know, I'm not going to say it's good or bad. It works for some guys. It doesn't work for others. You, you do what's best for you. But I like to fish by the seat of my pants. I like to pattern fish. I like to kind of follow the current conditions and follow the fish. But, you know, that was Mother Nature. <laughs> and nothing different than we've seen all year through another curveball. And as opposed to normal water levels, when we got there, the lake was about three feet high. Now, that being said, it had been three feet high for a good week before we got there. So the water was semi-stable. It's still slightly rising, but I was trying to figure out how fast can this lake drop? How fast can this lake rise? Because all lakes are different, right? And that lake, we had about three or four inches of rain on Monday, which was the Monday after our three-day pre-practice period. And that was the Monday before the Classic started. So when we had that rain, the, the lake started creeping up just a little bit. And uh, but there again, it, it was four or five more inches throughout the entire week and all the way through the end of the classic. So I would consider it fairly stable, comparatively speaking, to what we've seen, say, at Pickwick earlier this year and things like that, where it comes up right. six feet overnight. So I, you know, when, when I first got there and I saw the lake was high and I saw it had been high, I like to look at those historical charts on water levels and things like that. Anywhere I've been in the southeast, first week of June, high water, you have buckbrush and willows that have two or three foot of water on them. There's going to be fish there. Now, the question in my mind was, 
are the right fish there. I can, mm-hmm. I can get bit, but you know, I'm here to win. You know, I got to make sure that this Ray Roberts caliber, or these giant fish that we hear about, you know, are, are actually up there and we're able to catch or have an opportunity to catch the ones that we need to, to make a run at the classic. And first day of practice, first two and a half hours, you know, I caught a four pounder and an eight pounder. And, mm. uh, that was right enough <laughs> for me. Yeah, that was enough for me to say, look, you know, if I can just generate enough bites and, you know, doing frogging and, you know, throwing a frog and flipping a half ounce jig, you know, you don't have to generate 25, 30 bites a day. You got to generate eight to 12 on a lake with that caliber of fish. And that was my goal going into the event. And that's kind of what I ran with throughout the whole tournament. Now, I did have to make some adjustments based on pressure, based on how other guys were approaching it, because it wasn't the 54 guys in this classic, but y'all know and I know that those guys are good and they're going to find all the same stuff. So when they're beating the lake up like that, especially when those fish are shallow, you know, I had a milk run of stuff that I could somewhat monitor visually, you know, which was good. I could see different areas across the lake, across the Creek, whatever it may be, um, how guys were fishing it and how many guys were fishing it. So I tried to keep an eye on that. And then I tried to make a little bit, I tried to adjust my approach throughout the event based on what I've seen and, and, you know, what I know was being caught from those areas and things like that. But yeah, I stuck with the jig and the frog. The frog didn't develop for me better until after that big storm we had on day two. And then I was able mm-hmm. to carry the frog over into the final day and generate some bites on it. So so Matt, let's run with a couple of your points there. You know, it's often, quite often, honestly, that we get the question from anglers, where do you start? You know, it's, it's probably one of the most in- intriguing questions for an angler when they begin their fishing day on any body of water. And, you know, here we are early July. What can you kind of share with just in your experience Experience for July, where anglers should start when they hit the body of the water. Because much like what you were talking about and referencing in, in your classic practice, you're not one of those guys that likes to put in all this you know time in advance, right? And a lot of us in this day and age, we, we only get so many days off. So we it might be our, our one Saturday, right, to where we have to show up on a body of water and try to catch a fish. What advice can you give them? Well, you know, if, if a guy's got the electronic capability now, you know, I would, if, if we're just talking July, I would, I would definitely spend some time looking offshore. One one thing I like to do when I get to a new body of water, and this may not be applicable at every body of water just because the sheer size of some of them, but you take Ray Roberts, for instance, 20-something thousand acres, not that big of a lake compared to mm-hmm. we speak. So I like to ride the whole lake. I like to look and see what the lake has to offer. I like to look at water colors. I like to look at you know shoreline cover. I like to look at offshore structure. So it's just to see what it has to offer. And I'm not talking about graphing the whole lake and things like that, but visually seeing everything and the way the lake lays out. Now, I've you know, I'll do my Google Earth research and things like that, but I like to see what there is. That way, when I do get a bite or two and I, I start to try to duplicate that or run a pattern, I kind of know how everything sets up. And I kind of have my options laid out for me in the back of my mind to say, oh, you know, I, I know where some more of this stuff is, you know. So, you know, if you've got the electronics, I would definitely spend some time offshore. I'd look at any of those main lake points, main lake humps that connect to the main river channels, mouths of the major feeder creeks that dump into the main river channels. You know, those are tend to be community holes nowadays, but they hold a lot of fish for a reason but those little places and those little turns and things at the mouths of your major creeks where they dump in the main river channel that's a lot of summertime haunts for big schools of bass uh, especially on any of your tennessee river lakes and things like that so i like to see what the lake has to offer but there again if i've got the electronics you know i'll spend a lot of time graphing in some of those high percentage areas matt that was really detailed really love how you approach that when conditions of early summer right i mean like up north right now you still have early summer conditions obviously even though it's july you know folks in georgia and alabama are like early summer blah you know we're we're all yeah. offshore you know or current related at the very best to you know find some shallow fish maybe um at least quantities of them uh there's always shallow fish you know singles here and there and a lot of guys do good fishing that way you know in in the midsummer and even late summer but when you're looking at that early summer to midsummer shift are you kind of one of those guys that likes to stay shallow as long as you can and then kind of move offshore or how do you break down that seasonal behavior pattern shift once it occurs and what are you seeing to help you design that that strategy to move from A to B? Well, it's it's no secret nowadays that you've got brim beds, you know, all over the southeast, and they, they like to do their thing around here. They'll do it in the Carolinas, you know, from late May, early June, all the way through Labor Day. So, mm-hmm. you know, some of the biggest fish in the lake 
are are big nomads that's that roam shallow year round you know, or, or at least all through the summer and they're they're you know they're chasing bluegill and crawdads and things like that but the problem with that from a, a tournament approach is that you know those fish they get picked off and then they become very fickle they become hard to catch and they get a lot of pressure from the you know the regular weekend angler too that doesn't have all the fancy electronics to get mm-hmm. off the bank chase those big schools so i do like to target those fish quite often but i like to use them you know as an option to to boost my bag if i can find offshore schools of fish or brush pile fish or things like that where i feel like larger groups of fish are are located i'd like to try to you know try to get what i can and then bounce back and forth you know shallow to deep try to get a big bite makes perfect sense guys we're going to take a quick break as we collect our thoughts on summer fishing patterns let's power pull down bass edge road will return with more bass and insights with bass elite series angler matt airy patented in 2000 perfected over years of testing and real world punishment the power pole is the ultimate shallow water boat positioning tool swift PowerPole deploys in seconds from anywhere in your boat. Virtually silent, PowerPole won't spook wary fish. Secure in strong current or gusting winds in up to 8 feet of water. Engineered to take it with a lifetime unconditional replacement guarantee on the spike. PowerPole. Swift. Silent. Secure. Visit PowerPole.com to find a dealer near you. Bass Edge Radio is presented in part by Mercury Marine. Returns with BASS Elite Series Pro Matt Airy and the Lucas Oil spotlight that's right lucas oil high performance marine products be sure to visit the bassedge.com store for free shipping it works matt we left some discussions on midsummer bass and let's jump right back into it with some tactics for better quality fish during this time of year you talked really about a two-pronged approach you know getting clued in maybe to keepers to fill those tournament limits potentially that might be out deep a little bit more to find bigger schools of fish you talked about you know singletons maybe some of the bigger nomadic fish you talked about being up shallow during that midsummer time frame what are ways you're going to target these fish to get better quality bites as far as the shallow fish are concerned, there's a, there's a couple different baits that I'll keep on my deck. And typically, I'll have some type of uh, prop bait, you know, that resembles a bluegill. Then I'll have a, I like the Lunker Hunt compact frog, typically in more of a bluegill type pattern. So a frog and a prop bait are my two top waters that I'm using when I go shallow to target those bigger fish, especially around the brim beds and things like that. Uh, and then I'll have a wacky rig Lunker stick. Um, you know, it's a five inch stick bait, uh, watermelon red. If the water's fairly clear, that's kind of my two prong approach when I target those big shallow fish and some of those fish when they get fickle and they you know they'll just they'll kind of wake or they'll just swirl on your top waters you know you can pick up that wacky worm and follow it up and and catch a lot of those big fish too so those are the two or three baits that i have on my deck when i'm targeting those big shallow water fish gotcha Man, I want to expand on kind of a concept and, and really pick your brain. And Kurt, feel free to jump in here on this as well. You know, we hear often talking about uh, catching a bigger fish. And you ask five anglers, right? You're probably going to get five different responses. But Matt, in your opinion, what goes into actually being able to attract and then boat a larger than average fish in the summertime and attracting those quality bites? Well, you know, the biggest fish in the lake to me aren't necessarily in those big schools. A lot of those fish, they live live in kind of isolated places. Now, it makes sense on where they live uh, because it's either a good ambush point or there's some bigger forage available like your bluegill or some big white bass or even crappies or whatever the lake has to offer. But, you know, bait changes, the way you approach different places, you know, they're again making adjustments on where you fish. You know, if if I wanted to go out there, um, take the guys in California, for example, perfect example. I mean, there's guys out there that go to the lake every day with two rods. They got a 12-inch swim bait and a 10-inch swim bait. (laughs) And 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 a tennis shoe. Yeah, and a tennis shoe yeah they throw in hubcaps and stuff out there with hooks hanging off of them but no they're literally trying to catch one bass each time they go and you know these are eight to twelve pounders these guys are targeting they're throwing giant baits they understand the risk reward factor but that they don't care because that's what they're out there to do now that being said we're not necessarily doing that we're not to that extreme but you know i I may be throwing a a ten and a half twelve inch worm offshore Um, i may be running isolated brush piles that are just in oddball places that might hold you know one or two bites but they're going to be the right kind of bites i may be running brim beds with a frog you know that'll get an above average bite typically there's several different ways to target those bigger fish and there's a lot of different techniques you know when you're fishing offshore you know that magnum spoon that we've seen you know come about in the last few years is a great way to target big fish now there again kind of like uh, the flutter spoon is that what you're talking about matt yeah the big giant magnum spoons yeah the i don't even they're like eight inch or ten inch spoons you know ben parker was big on that that's right i think that's the first one yes Mm -hmm. but yeah i mean there's 
you know, bait changes, location adjustments to target bigger fish because, you know, to me, and it's always been this way to me, to go out and catch five big ones is a heck of a lot harder than catching 50 little ones. That is what I strive to do each time I go out on the water. I'm not a guy, I mean, yeah, we all like to get our string stretched. And when we take the kids, that's a lot of fun to go out there and, and catch 20 or 30 pound and a half, two pounders, you know, but to go out there and catch five, five pounders, five, six pounders, five, seven pounders, depending on where you are, you know, any anywhere you go in the Southeast, typically 20 pounds this time of year is a, a heck of a challenge. That's what's so intriguing to me about it because a lot of those big fish live in those oddball places. Sometimes they're harder to find and they're definitely harder to make bite. Matt, you know, you lead me into another thought process. And you mentioned earlier when we talked about the classic in the first part of the interview, looking for those quality bites, you needed to win that particular event. And and you had some early bites, an eight pounder, I think you said a four pounder and, and really let you know that what your initial strategic design was to do well in that event up shallow and, and in the bushes and stuff like that was a way to go to get that better quality bite from a tournament perspective you know obviously venues play a big role you know in in what is a quality fish and what isn't a quality bass on a on a particular lake and that'll change from you know you go to champlain a four pounder is a good quality smallmouth and and three three and a half pounders are good quality smallmouth but if you go to thousand islands you need four and a half pounders. You know, right. it's, a, it's a little bit different, right? And and it's all in perspective. And you can take those same ideas with lakes down the southeast if you're at Santee versus Norman, right? I mean, totally different Absolutely. size and quality of fish, but, you know, fisheries that are close. And anyway, long story short is from a tournament perspective, I want to get your view on targeting keeper bites when you arrive to a venue, or are you just right out of the gate always trying to dial in how to get a better average quality bite when you hit the lake well yeah so that's that's a funny question because when you're at the classic i'm immediately trying to generate big bites because i'm there Mm -hmm. to win and points aren't an option now back up and go to a regular elite series tournament throughout the season where aoi points are on the line i've got to get my five i've got to get my five every time now it needs to be a you know a competitive five so you can't just go get five keepers take champlain for instance you know i think a keeper up there's 12 or 14 inches or st lawrence river it's like 14 inches you know those five of those we both know is not gonna do any good so you do have to target you know those above average keeper size fish but i do like to get five in the box i'm one of those guys that fishes a lot better with five in the box and then you know depending on the fishery i'll take some more risks and kind of expand and try to do some different things like we were talking about earlier you know trying to hit some more isolated areas with some bigger baits things like that to try to catch you know a five six seven pound or whatever it may be to up my weight but in those regular season events you know I'm, I'm trying to get a good solid limit in the boat before i start getting a little wild and crazy you know what i mean so, sure sure um, sure yeah you know and, and then uh when you go to somewhere like the classic and you know you're there for one reason and and that's to try to win the classic you know right off the bat i'm trying to target the five biggest fish in the lake because you just want to win makes sense now you've had a very very consistent career um you take some anglers out there you just throw a couple of your, your thrifts right and you and you throw a name like Jason Christie or or Greg Hackney. Do you feel like some of those guys that are consistently having top tens and really, really doing exceptionally well, do you feel like they're just techniques that they lean on help them catch a bigger fish or it's targeting a bigger fish than some of the other techniques that guys might lean on that aren't more applicable to catching larger fish? And do you think that just becomes a a style situation where it helps some anglers be a little bit more consistent in the top 10? Or what's your thought process? No, I definitely think you're right in that it does help some anglers. You know, there's some out there that try to force the same thing everywhere they go because that's their wheelhouse and they just don't want to branch out for whatever reason. Um, But then there's guys like Hackney, for instance. He can make it work. He just seems to make it work just about wherever we've been all year long. You know, I mean, we're at Pickwick and he's flipping it. Well, that's not a good example because I don't think he made the cut in that one. That was one of his weaker finishes. But (laughs) that being said, you look at where he's at in the AOI standings and, you know, every tournament this year, he's pretty much had a flipping stick in his hand and he's made it work. Um, Now, what he's so good at doing is finding those isolated, more remote areas and getting away from the crowds and things like that and looking for fish that are, you know, that aren't targeted quite as much but then there's some guys out there that you know and myself for example when i first started fishing professionally my goal was to obviously make a living in this industry Mm -hmm. but make championships you know and i was willing right off the bat to learn every technique i could and be open to whatever i needed to do wherever i went at any time and uh you know i i was not one i don't consider myself 
uh, super strong at any technique, but I consider Specialist, myself some, right, right. Uh, yeah, that can do a little bit of everything, and I'm willing to do a little bit of everything. So, you know, to answer your question, there are some guys that can make that work, but there's very few of them. Most of your best anglers, your AOIs, typically are very versatile anglers who are willing to adapt and adjust wherever they go, and they've got 15, 20 rods on the deck throughout practice and the tournament. But then there's a handful of guys, you know, Denny Brower, who's retired now, but a perfect example, who made a career out of fishing shallow with a big rod in his hand. You know, Tommy Biffle, another one who's made a career out of it. Um, right. But that's a lot easier said than done. <laughs> Do you think that's going away these days? What's your view on trends as far as where the industry is going from a competitive standpoint? Do you feel oh. like the specialist is losing his way a little bit? I mean, you got a couple old school guys hanging on, uh, you know, and I'll throw Hackney in there as one of those old school guys. You throw, Even though Jason Christie's not very old, he fishes old school, right? <laughs> He does. You know, it's funny you said that because I was talking about this with Thrift the other day. And what I'm seeing trending, these kids coming out of college, y'all have seen them. They're unbelievable, right? They're yeah. super advanced when it comes to the technical side of things, the technology side of things. They've got all the electronics, all the forward-facing sonar, everything they need at a very young age. And they're learning it and they're studying it and they're students of the game. And, you know, your Brian News, your Patrick Walters, a lot of young Drew Cooks. There's a lot of kids that fished in college that are now very successful elite pros. Mm-hmm. But that being said, I feel like it actually helps helps a guy like Hackney or Christie, the old school guys. And the reason I say that is because every tournament we go to now, after, especially after Patrick Walters absolutely just waylaid us last fall <laughs> right, right. Fourth with the, out in the timber, guys are having to spend a lot of time in practice using the forward-facing sonar, sitting offshore, looking at things like that, where I actually think it's starting to take some attention away from the bank. And Very I'm, interesting. I'm seeing things kind of revert backwards, you know, go backwards. And Thrift, the other day, we, it's just funny we were talking about this, and, you know, he had a couple rough events this year. I had a couple rough events this year. And and, and Thrift is a guy who really excels at finding little bitty tiny oddball places yes. off the bank and has them all to himself, and he ends up using those to supplement his tournament and he ends up winning events because of these little places that he finds, right? Mm-hmm. So, yep. but those events that he didn't excel in were, I don't, I use the term bank beater events, but they were events to where the shallow water guys shine. And that is a perfect example of things kind of going back because the ele- with the advancement in electronics, I think it's making our fish off the bank even harder to catch. <laughs> These are fish that never got any pressure in the past. These are fish that never had a hook in their mouth for two or three months out of the year. And I believe that in a lot of these fisheries. But now, because they're getting pressured, I think it's guys to get a little bit more of the shallow water to themselves and have an opportunity to win tournaments again, three or four day events, uh, actually shallow. Right. What's your opinion? I'm throwing a, you know, oddball question out there because we started talking about electronics and, and it's been a hot topic here on Bass Edge and, and many other podcasts and, and within the industry, obviously the forward facing sonar. It's becoming more and more uh, apt for guys using this specifically in the professional level, even in really shallow water situations to be able to take advantage of that forward facing sonar. How far is this developed for you and how much time are you spending looking at your forward-facing sonar constantly out there it almost becomes a game of well i mean it's just just a young man's you know kind of this new generation of phones and everything else with electronics that we see and and how people relate to their lives are now relating that to bass fishing and it's almost like we're having to stare at that forward-facing sonar a lot how is that developed for you and what's your thought process in that specifically <laughs> well not just in deep water but shallow water as well yeah it's kind of two-sided for me because you know, I run Lawrence, I run the active target and it's phenomenal. You know, it really is what you see with these electronics now. Well, actually it can do one of two things. It can make your tournament or it can absolutely drive you insane. <laughs> and right. I say that because you almost can get addicted to it. You, you made the reference to video games and it's, it's almost addictive. You get up there and you get to see in these fish and you get to see them follow your bait. You get to see them react and do this and do that. And it is addictive, but it can get you in trouble at the same time. I think there's a fine line on figuring out when to say when. I have seen guys become 
so addicted to that thing that they spend too much time on it, you know? And, uh, I try to find that happy medium when I'm practicing and, you know, I've got, I've got to kind of, you know, experiment with a little bit of everything and try to figure out what the deal is pretty quickly. We have three days to break it down. So it's definitely, uh, and I hate to use this term, but it's definitely a game changer in the industry. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's changed a lot of the, uh, outcomes of a lot of the tournaments over the last couple of years and, you know, it, it will continue to do so, but I use it carefully. I use it cautiously, um, because there again, you can end up wasting 30, 45 minutes trying to catch fish off that thing that even though you can see them, even though they might follow your bait, they're still uncatchable, you know? So, right. you know, it can definitely get you in trouble, but it's definitely a something that I have to utilize each and every tournament, no matter where we are. I have to kind of sample it during practice and see what I think, you know, the capabilities are moving through the tournament. I feel like I need another set of eyeballs. I, I need four eyes instead of two because I need I two to keep looking ahead and see what, and I need two more to just stare at that unit. And it's a tough contrast. And there's certainly times when, uh, obviously, we've seen Spencer Shuffield dominate yeah. with it uh, last yeah. year. I mean, we saw Walters dominate with it in an event last year, and and several examples of those types of things happening. And Matt, I like your a point struggle. to where you said, you know, it, it's it's kind of bittersweet. You know, it's almost kind of a, a lame analogy but it's like if cameras were so great we would catch all the bank robbers right they're gonna sometimes <laughs> catch them sometimes they're not you know i mean that's the end of the day i'll tell uh, you jeff gustin the canadian the fish is with us on tour sponsored by aquaview the underwater cameras yeah and, uh yeah you talk about a heartbreaker you take that thing to st lawrence river champlain or st Clair or something and you drop it down and you see 25 pounds on these rock piles and you can't catch them you talk about driving yourself crazy that's i don't know which one's worse <laughs> well, and leave the <laughs> Say, well, yeah, well, at least with the active target, you can say, ah, that's not a bad Yeah, it's a spoonbill. <laughs> you drop the camera they're down, and you're looking at a five-pounder dead in the eye, and you're dropping your worm, and he just swims away from it, and then you're like, huh, that sucks. Right. And, and that's what last year at uh, Erie, I remember, uh, you know, obviously active target was becoming a big player, and, and live scope obviously as well, and, and all the forward-facing stuff that's out there. And, and really now, you're being able to watch those fish, you're able to detect behavioral differences and and really tell okay well i know that's a drum because this is the way it's acting or i know this is a small mouth because it's the way it's acting and then you know being able to target specific species just based on behavioral stuff and, and the way it moves and and the way you see it on active target i mean who knows where this thing is going but it's a, it's a wild game oh wild yeah game. <laughs> in the next couple of years those fish that were like you said kurt if you're, you know if you have a lot of experience with it you can kind of identify the species mm. you, can, you can somewhat identify the size shoot it may say largemouth bass on it here in a couple of years and tell you the weight and probably tell you hey throw a chartreuse seven inch ribbon tail wind it slow and hold on we'll so, be we'll be using it as a color selector all at the same time yeah, right? That's, right. That's, right. <laughs> that's fantastic all right guys we're going to get into the listener questions segment brought to the program by nitro performance bass boats this question was sent in by reese carmichael from illinois reese asks i'm looking to invest in my first electronic fish finder but i'm on a fairly limited budget what electronic needs do you consider a must-have to improve number and quality of fish being caught so you know obviously forward-facing sonar is expensive and you have to use that to supplement another unit now that being said Lowrance has a series called the elite fs series and they have an fs7 they have a fs9 both those units are well under a thousand dollars you can actually get the three-in-one transducer with either one of those units and that will give you you know you'll have gps you'll have 2d sonar you'll have side imaging and you'll have down imaging so you'll and those units are compatible with the active target so you can Mm. later add that when the budget allows so those units anywhere from six to eight hundred dollars with the three-in-one transducer and that will give you kind of everything you need to get going and and be able to scan offshore and see brush piles and see fish clearly and then if you're able you can you can add the active target later on down the road but the fs series from lawrence they have a seven inch they have a nine inch both great units and and like I said, well under a thousand dollars to get into one of those. Hey, I was just going to ask you guys to speak just briefly on the updates. You know, making sure the importance of keeping you know software updates and stuff like that. You know, it's all done wirelessly practically now. But I think that's something that can often be overlooked as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. You can go to Lawrence's website and the updates are, are always there. They're always available to download on a card and then you can upload them into your unit. So staying up to date 
is uh is very important you know those updates they do them for a lot of different reasons where there's little bitty bugs in the system somewhere or 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 just updating internal maps updating you know all kinds of different features so you know definitely staying up to date with all that stuff is is extremely important for your unit right matt would you agree and this is just my thought process wanted to get your opinion on it still maybe the most basic fundamental items you need is water temperature and depth those two things are going to help anybody catch more fish and and maybe improve their quality because water temperature is going to give you seasonal behavior pattern information. You know, if it's 56 or 61 or 72, big differences in what that tells you the potential seasonal, predominant seasonal behavior pattern is on a particular lake. And then, of course, the depth whether it's five feet or you see a little drop that goes from five to 10 or, or something of that nature, those two, would you agree those are still the most needed basic functions? Or do you think now a newer technology trumps those? Well, I mean, I, I'm not going to sit here and lie and say, you know, side imaging or forward facing sonar doesn't trump that because, you know, water temps, 2D sonar, basic water depths and things like that, obviously those are extremely important. Being able to see 80 feet, 100 feet out to the side of your boat, (laughs) all that does, that cuts down on your time. So those are just additions to, you know, the basic things that you're mentioning there. But I do think those are still very, very critical in, uh, in being able to kind of assess the current situation on any body of water. Cool. Good stuff. Matt, certainly appreciate you taking that question. Uh, Reese, one more thing that we need from you, and that is to be sure to visit BassEdge.com. Click on the Claim Your Prize tab or email us at support at BassEdge.com, letting us know that you heard Matt answer your question right here on episode 355 and we will get the bass edge gift sent directly to you and as a reminder continue to fire in those questions of the show man we appreciate all the feedback we're getting from the listeners uh you can do that on the website bassedge.com simply push the ask the pros tab hopefully we'll get your question answered here on the show you can also email us as aaron mentioned earlier support at bassedge.com or leave us a comment on our facebook or instagram media pages Well, Matt, uh, what a just chock full of great information from A to Z. Really appreciate you carving out time in your busy schedule. Just curious, do you have any closing thoughts or or remarks for Bass Edge Nation as we begin to shut down? Man, you know, I I, I tell everybody the same thing as far as when you go to a new body of water, I know that's kind of been a hot topic this show, but, you know, always keep an open mind. You know, the biggest mistake I see a lot of weekend anglers make is they go out there on a Sunday before or Saturday before and they caught. 17 bass out of so-and-so brush pile on so-and-so point and they want to go back to the same spot and do the same thing keep an open mind have you several different techniques available and uh and go out there and, and don't get stuck on what you did yesterday as you know y'all know and, and i know fishing can change every 30 minutes much less over a week so uh yeah always keep an open mind and, and be willing to change on the fly but you know I, I appreciate you guys having me very much and, and uh guys you can find brian and i's podcast on facebook at let's talk fish live and it's a lot of fun everybody join in when they get a chance and, and of course my my social pages are, are Mattery Fishing across the board on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. So if you got a question for me, hey, just shoot me a message and I'll typically get back to everybody within a day. Yeah, Matt, it's great stuff, man. Appreciate all you do in the industry and, and uh, enjoy following you out there on the Elite Series. Been great chatting with you here on the show. Best of luck, man, the remainder of this year. Hopefully you ride that classic momentum right into classic 2022 over there at Lake Hartwell, man. It'd be great to see you fishing close to home and uh, have another shot at it so close this time i know you're you're itching to get back and make that happen we're gonna get after it i appreciate it you bet all right bass edge we'll be right back with aaron my closing thoughts right after this message you know the importance of protecting your investments so why use anything else other than the original and toughest diy keel protector for your boat megaware keel guard Grinding sand, abrasive rocks, and concrete ramps are no match for our exclusive contoured edge and patented technology. MegaWare KeelGuard Keel Protectors are made tough and made to stick. Their do-it-yourself installation takes less than an hour, providing the longest-lasting, most dependable keel protection for your boat, guaranteed for life. Developed specifically by boat builders, offering the best keel protection in the industry. Also from MegaWare KeelGuard, SkegGuard, FlexStep Pro, and Pontoon Guard. So give your boat the performance edge. Put on the protection the pros pick. MegaWare KeelGuard. 
The PowerPole Charge Marine Power Management Station is the most advanced system of its kind available on the market. It does the work of three devices, a traditional battery charger, a charge on the run, and an emergency start system all in one compact unit. The charge lets you run your boat's accessories the way you want to run them by allowing you to monitor and control your power usage through the PowerPole app. It automatically devotes power to the batteries that need it the most for maximum efficiency. The new charge from PowerPole. Power where you need it. Power how you need it. Power when you need it. Be at home with nature with nature-inspired art, decor, and gifts by Wild Wings at wildwings.com. Explore art prints and canvas wraps of bass, trout, walleye, muskie, and more by acclaimed artists like Mark Sassino. I primarily paint underwater scenes of game fish and usually in a fishing situation, going after prey or going after a lure or a fly. I get asked sometimes whether I like fishing better or artwork. It would be tough to give either of them up. I can't really think of a good reason to give either up, so I'm going to stick with them. Make your home, office, or cabin show off your passion for angling. Visit wildwings.com backslash Bass Edge and sign up for an exclusive offer to Bass Edge listeners of 10% off your next order. Give something special to your loved one and be at home with nature. Visit wildwings.com backslash Bass Edge. That's wildwings.com backslash Bass Edge to get 10% off your next order of nature-inspired art, decor, and gifts by Wild Wings. enjoyed Matt's topics certainly a lot of them you know his classic recap I liked his his electronics you know discussion but really just a, a lot of information crammed in a, in a very short period of time yeah you know I think probably one of the most interesting things about Matt's interview was his I'm gonna say dedication to being versatile I mean so many times now we hear about this is a shallow water guy or this is a deep water guy or this is a finesse guy this is a power fishing guy and they try to excel at something particular you know very specific and Matt started his career he, he stated in the interview wanting to be able to be diversified because you know his goal was making championships that's what he wanted to do because he felt like that was the best way to make a living in the game and uh, his diversification is is very evident you know even in his discussion about how he started strategically with the classic then about how he tackles this kind of july time frame of bass fishing you know it's not just one dimensional He's looking for a type and style of fish up shallow, and he's looking for a type and behavioral style of fish out deep. And very compelling. You know, what, what's compelling mostly is that, Aaron, there is no one way to make this thing work for people. You have to dial in your identity. Uh, we haven't talked about that in a long time, but angler identity, super important. Very important. And, and you know, I, I guess to selfishly, Kurt, if there was one cut and dry way to do this, we would not be 355 episodes. This. <laughs> so it, it would have been a very short conversation. But, but, we're, but we're always looking for that answer, right? Like, are. how do I, where do I fit in? And it's, and it's almost, if you're looking for it, you're never going to find it. You have to naturally evolve into that but uh understanding these different nuances from people that have such great experiences like matt airy and, and all of our guests through 350 plus episodes here on bass edge radio can help you develop your expertise and and skill level to be a successful bass angler and, and i guess yeah. that's the most part of it no doubt it's you know the futile search for the holy grail in the sport of fishing so yeah. <laughs> <laughs> perhaps, perhaps it does exist. Who knows? But uh, I tell you what does exist, and that is the hard close that we've got to get to. Want to thank yeah. all of our Bass Edge listeners and Bass Edge Nation for sending in the questions. Keep those coming. Appreciate you guys tuning us in. As we've said many, many times, many choices out there. Certainly appreciate your time with us. For all things Bass Edge, uh, BassEdge.com, all of our social media. And uh, don't forget, you know, it's, again, we are in summer. There are, is probably, I think, this year a lot more boat traffic just because of people are getting out and enjoying the outdoors. And uh, sunscreen, life jackets, safety first. So for Kurt Dove and the rest of the Bass Edge crew, I am Aaron Martin. And we look forward to seeing you July 15th on episode 356. So long, everybody. Happy Independence Day. Yes. Happy Independence Day. The Edge is
presented by MegaWare KeelGuard. For more information on Bass Edge or to shop at the Bass Edge online store, visit BassEdge.com. And be sure to join Kurt Dove and Aaron Martin right here on another episode of The Edge. Brought to you in part by Nitro Boats, Lucas Oil, ProtectTheHarvest.com, Mercury Marine, PowerPole, and Transport Graphics.